0: This podcast is made possible by Daiichi Sankyo. Welcome to the breastcancer.org podcast, the podcast that brings you the latest information on breast cancer research, treatments, side effects, and survivorship issues through expert interviews, as well as personal stories from people affected by breast cancer. Here's your host, breastcancer.org senior editor, Jamie DiPolo.
1: Hello, thanks for listening. Our guest is Brian Wojciechowski, MD, who practices medical oncology in Delaware County, Pennsylvania at Riddle, Taylor, and Crozer Hospitals and also serves as breastcancer.org's medical advisor. A native of South Philadelphia, he trained at Temple University School of Medicine and Lankenau Medical Center. Dr. Wojciechowski is a sought after speaker on the topics of medical ethics and the biology of cancer. If you've been diagnosed with early-stage breast cancer, your doctor may have talked to you about genomic testing. You also may have heard about genetic testing. The names sound familiar, but the tests are very different, and Dr. Wojciechowski is going to help us understand how the tests are used and what the differences are. Dr. Wojciechowski, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me back, Jamie. So let's start with genetic testing. What is genetic testing used for? and how is it done?
2: All right. So genetic testing refers to when we are testing the patient's own inborn genes, their DNA. It's also called germline testing. And the most common reason we would use it in breast cancer patients is to identify mutations that patients are born with, like BRCA1 and BRCA2, in order to help us make decisions about treatment. So, for example, if someone's positive for BRCA1, we would be much more likely to recommend mastectomy. And, you know, also being positive for BRCA1 or 2 can sometimes, in some cases, uh, determine which treatments uh, the the patients will get in terms of uh, chemotherapy.
1: Okay, right, and there are specific treatments. I believe maybe this is for metastatic disease. If you do have a BRCA one or two mutation, PARP inhibitors are likely to be recommended. Is that right?
2: Yeah, and uh, PARP inhibitors are also now being used uh, in some cases in the adjuvant setting when patients are not metastatic. Okay, and the, and the and the genetic testing can impact that decision. Okay, yes, yeah, so you you need to know that before you
1: can make those decisions about those treatments.
2: That's right, yeah.
1: Okay, so how common is genetic testing? I know there's some controversy about it because some groups believe that anyone diagnosed with breast cancer should have genetic testing, but I believe that is not the current recommendation.
2: Yeah, and that's a moving target, Jamie. That seems to be changing, you know, month to month sometimes. Um, I would say in terms of how common is it, I think we're, we're testing more than 50% now of our breast cancer patients. So the incidence is, is going higher and higher.
1: Okay. And before we move on to genomic testing, I do also want to ask about somebody who has a strong family history but hasn't been diagnosed also might be a candidate for genetic testing, Correct.
2: That's right, especially if someone in their family has been diagnosed with a genetic cancer susceptibility syndrome. Okay.
1: And in that case, then you would use the information to potentially make sort of proactive decisions. So if you knew you had a mutation that gave you a higher risk of breast cancer, you could potentially have preventive mastectomy or start taking some medicine preventively to lower that risk.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's done quite often. I think, uh, isn't that what happened with Angelina Jolie? I believe that is correct because her mother had breast
1: cancer, but I don't think she's ever been diagnosed, but she tested positive for, it was either, I don't remember if it was BRCA1 or two, but she had a mutation. So she decided to have a preventive mastectomy, double mastectomy, I should say.
2: Yeah. And and that's exactly what happened. I, I think you're right. I don't remember that she was diagnosed with cancer. Okay.
1: So let's move on to genomic testing. So what is genomic testing used for and how is it done?
2: So when someone has cancer, the tumor itself also has genes and DNA. And those genes are all messed up because they're cancer cells, uh, and that's, you know, one of the definitions of a cancer cell is a, a cell that's been genetically altered to reproduce uncontrollably. So the DNA is different than the DNA that the patient was born with, the normal DNA. So when we test the genes of the cancer itself, of the tumor, we call that genomic testing. And the, the most common reason we do that is to To determine, you know, if and what types of chemotherapy and targeted therapy treatments that patients would be eligible for. How it's done? Well, it's usually done on the tumor that has already been removed from the body. It can be done on the actual tumor. In some cases, it can be done um, in the blood, just from a blood draw.
1: Okay. And if, say, somebody had their cancer removed, the cancer removed you know, six months ago, can these, can the genomic tests be done on preserved tissue, like on preserved cancer tissue?
2: Yes, it can be.
1: Okay. And also, I mean, you mentioned specific chemotherapies, but I think In some cases, like I'm thinking of for Oncotype, some of the ones that are very specific to breast cancer, they're looking at these suite of genes that kind of decide, like, okay, can you benefit from specific treatments
2: after surgery? Is that right? Yeah. In the case of Oncotype, they test 21 genes. And based on that testing, they come up with a score. And, you know, depending on uh, what your score is, that would determine if you would benefit from chemotherapy.
1: Okay.
2: It also gives you prognostic information, so it tells you what the prognosis is. The higher the score, the worse prognosis or or another way to say it is the higher the chance that the cancer would come back and therefore the higher the benefit of chemotherapy.
1: Okay. And I believe there are a couple other genomic tests for breast cancer and I'm I'm assuming say each specific type of cancer may have Different genomic tests. But um I and I'm gonna forget all the different names, but isn't there one that tells you how likely distant recurrences, like metastatic recurrence? Am I remembering that correctly?
2: I think they all contribute to the distant metastatic recurrence risk to it to a certain extent.
1: Oh, okay. Oh, I know what it is. I'm sorry, it's a late recurrence. Yeah. So I believe one is used to say, okay. You've taken five years of hormonal therapy for hormon- hormone receptor positive disease. Would you benefit from taking five more years for a total of 10 years? Is, I think that's right.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and that's for just hormonal therapy, not chemotherapy.
1: Okay. And, and so all these tests are different. So for you as an oncologist treating somebody, how do you decide if a genomic test is right for somebody, and then which genomic test?
2: So you have to consider, first of all, what is... Oh, and I think I think the test you were referring to was the breast cancer index, maybe? Okay,
1: that, that sounds familiar. Yep.
2: Yeah, yeah. So when I'm considering a genomic test, the first thing I ask myself is, is it going to change my recommendation? If a woman says to me, you know, I'm 80 years old, there's no way I would do chemotherapy, then I'm not going to run a genomic test that costs $3,000 to give me information about her, you know, whether she would benefit from chemo if she's going to refuse chemo anyway. So that's the first thing is, is, is it actually going to, you know, change our course of action? The, the other thing you have to look at, you think about for genomic tests is, is that they're based on the ERPR status. So for example, the oncotype test is really only for ER, ERPR positive HER2 negative patients, whereas another genomic test called the print can actually be used for triple negative as well. So those are the main considerations that I take into account. Um, I would say the most common test I've used is the oncotype, and I think I've used the print a handful of times as well.
1: Okay. Okay. And then when you're when you're talking to your patients and you kind of present this information, it's still kind of a of a choice. Like you can say, "Here's what the genomic test results show. Here's what I'd recommend. What are your preferences?" I mean, the the patient still has input into all this.
2: That's right. It, it, there, there's always a choice all, all along the way.
1: Okay. Do you ever recommend more than one genomic test? Is that ever appropriate for one person?
2: That would be a a very uncommon and unique scenario. I would say 99% of the time, just one or the other is appropriate.
1: Okay. Okay. And then if somebody has been diagnosed with early stage disease, I'm going to kind of stick with that one, and their doctor hasn't mentioned genomic testing, does it make sense to at least bring it up and, and talk about why somebody is or isn't a good candidate?
2: I think in medicine today you always have to be your own advocate. Doctors are human beings just like anyone else, and we're not infallible. So it's possible, you know, that maybe the your provider forgot about it or didn't consider it. You know, in in most cases in breast cancer you want to be at a at a place where there's a multidisciplinary team, a group of the various specialists, you know, the The chemo, the chemo doc, the radiation doc, the surgeon, the genetic specialist, so that so that everything is, you know, so that they cover all the bases. But yeah, I think it makes total sense to uh, to bring it up if it has not been brought up. And I think that also applies for genetic testing as well. Bring it up if it has not been brought up. Um, like I said, the, the criteria for genetic testing is always changing, and we are moving, it seems we're moving in the direction of doing more uh, genetic testing and not less.
1: Okay. And kind of to to make it parallel, in, in your mind, how common is genomic testing for people who've been diagnosed with breast cancer? Is it really common or is it not so common?
2: I think it's very common. Okay. Yeah, I think it's very common. I think anyone who has early stage breast cancer, who's ERPR positive, you know, probably 75% are going to have some kind of genomic testing. The ones that will not get genomic testing are probably the ones who are elderly or or for for, for some reason or another are not candidates for chemotherapy, like chemotherapy would do more harm than good. And the other group who would probably not get genomic testing is... You know, the person with a very advanced, locally advanced, non-metastatic breast cancer, say with, you know, more than three positive lymph nodes, um, inflammatory breast cancer, you know, those are the cases where you give chemo no matter what, and you really don't need a genetic test in that case. Okay. Um, another, another example would be very early stage. So, uh, you know, a node negative half centimeter uh, tumor is probably not going to get genomic testing, but... Uh, there are exceptions.
1: Okay, and one last question um, f- for the um, the breast cancer index test. I believe that was the one that kind of makes helps you make a decision about five more years of hormonal therapy. Is that sounds to me like something that you would do as the completion of the first five years are coming up. Is that correct, or do people do that closer to diagnosis to sort of make that decision then, or do you? take the five years and then
2: do the test. Yeah. I think the best thing to do is wait a little while and see how someone tolerates the the first several years. You know, some women just sail right through it and they're eager to continue on to 10, no problem. You know, if if she develops osteoporosis, that's, that's another thing that goes into the, into the calculation. But yeah, I mean, I think for the most part, you're waiting uh, several years before doing that test.
1: Okay. And if someone, say, was having very bad side effects from hormonal therapy, that that also plays into your decision-making process too.
2: It does because uh, she might say, look, no matter what this test shows, I'm not going to go to 10 years. I'm stopping at five. Or I have really bad osteoporosis and I had a hip fracture and there's just no way I can go further. In that case, you're not really going to do the test because again, you know, it costs a lot of money and out-of-pocket expenses can be an issue and why do that? Why go through all that if the test is not going to impact your decision-making in the end?
1: Okay. Well, thank you very much, Brian. This has been very helpful and um, hopefully we'll be talking to you again in the future.
0: I hope so. Thank you for listening to the breastcancer.org podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. To share your thoughts about this or any episode, email us at podcast at breastcancer.org or leave feedback on the podcast episode landing page on our website. And remember, you can find a lot more information about breast cancer at breastcancer.org. And you can connect with thousands of people affected by breast cancer by joining our online community.